Guten Tag, uh, Soren Kierkegaard fans. It's Monday morning, April 11th, four days before tax day, if you live in the United States. I did my taxes a while back and used some software to do it, and uh, the software wasn't programmed correctly. Oh, great, fantastic, but the IRS issued a refund. Anyway, let me move on. I'm not going to get into that ramp. Today's topic is Soren in the Future. We talked about before how anxiety is a function of being worried about the future and how depression tends to be anchored in the past. Now, that's not absolute, of course. People can be depressed about future prospects. They think their life has been horrible, it's had horrible, tragic events, and it's never going to change. And it might not be a high-level anxiety. It just might be, hey, I'm not getting out of bed, you know, a depression. When you get in that kind of cycle with depression, as you know, if you've struggled with it, and I have in the past, it makes it very hard to act because uh, depression by its very nature feels like a huge burden that keeps you stuck. Uh, you know, if you're in that position and it's pretty serious, if it's clinical in the sense it's chronic and it's been for a while, please get some help. This is not meant to be a panacea. The kind of things that Soren ta- talks about are good for the soul. But if you need medical and psychological assistance, medication can often help people get out of a rut then please do so. That's just my personal and professional opinion for what it's worth. It's an opinion. It's not a diagnosis. Uh, But a lot of the depression that we struggle with in life is just a function of living. It's not something that we have all the time. Although I think there are people that are prone to melancholy. I think Lincoln was one of those people. Uh, You know, had high highs and low lows. He wasn't bipolar, but he had a sad spirit a lot. The Civil War certainly weighed on him, but he had some proclivities towards that introspection to start with. We talk about anxiety, though, and how uh, Soren talks about that the idea of the future is coming up to a ledge uh, that's on a high, high mountain, and we look over it and we feel the dizziness of freedom, the anxiety that we see. And that's happened to me recently. There's a trail on the York County side here close to the river that's called the Wildcat Trail. And there's a part of the trail that goes up somebody's driveway, believe it or not. And the driveway is probably a quarter mile long. I'd like to say it's a half mile, but that sounds like a hyperbole. But it's a quarter mile up, and it's a hard part of the trail. And it kind of uh, veers off and back into the woods. Um, You know, it turns into a dirt uh, trail, and then you head up back in the woods. But there's a right-hand turn you can take and go look over the river. And it's a drop of probably, I don't know, 600 feet, 700 feet. And uh, I I can't get close to edges. I used to not be fearful of edges, but I almost slid off a roof when I was working as a college painter down in Philadelphia, and I was about 65, 70 feet up in the air. I would have died, and I went up sliding down this roof and only stopped by digging the palm of my hands into the uh, shingles. And, uh, you know, the roof was in bad shape. We weren't carpenters. We were painters. But the roof itself needed to be repaired. You could see the uh, sunlight through it. So I was afraid I was going to fall through the roof if I didn't stop. Or just go over the edge if it happened not to collapse. So I've been scared of heights ever since then. Uh, Yesterday I spent most of the day from about 12 o'clock on trying to fix a problem in my phone. My Wi-Fi is not working and my Bluetooth is not working. The buttons themselves don't change over to being active. I'm pretty convinced it's a software issue, uh, but Apple has not issued a, a patch for it. I had to do a lot 
so that's I need to get an update, but you need Wi-Fi to do an update. So I had to go back into my computer uh, to update the operating system and the phone, and that meant that meant I had to operate uh, update I, uh, iTunes on my old laptop, which took hours in order to be able to put the new operating uh, system into the phone or the updates, and it still didn't correct the problem. I'm pretty convinced it's a function of 5G. 5G. 5G just started appearing on my phone, and ever since then, my Wi-Fi and my Bluetooth have been impaired. There's nothing online about it. I tried every fix. I, I can't come up with anything. It's frustrating. It's not the end of the world. My phone still works. I don't know if this podcast will suffer at all because it's no longer Wi-Fi. We'll see. Uh, I know I tried to post a video last night onto Twitter, and I couldn't post the video. It didn't. It only had the audio. The video wasn't showing for me. And uh, that's about my uh, craft beer, Beer Guard. I did a great review on uh, on some beer, uh, a wee heavy. And all it is is the uh, the audio, no video at all. So the anxiety of the future. Just want to mention two things recently that uh, these both these individuals had a strong um, inclination to look at the future. Ben Franklin, if you've not watched the two-part series on PBS by Ken Burns, uh, do so. It's about three hours long. You can either find the link if you search in Google or Safari or whatever. Or you can download the PBS app and watch it there. I just would suggest downloading the app. It's a lot more convenient. So Ben Franklin uh, was a practical person. He was the only founding father, one of the few, that came from the middle class and below. Uh, Most of our founding fathers were colonial uh, aristocracy. They came from wealthy families and were highly educated. Guys like Jefferson, Adams, Hancock. Hancock was the wealthiest man in, uh, in Massachusetts. He had inherited some fortune from his uncle and continued the business. Uh, Washington, you know, came from stock and married into a wealthy family when he married his wife, who had been married previously. Um, So these were men of means, which makes their uh, Declaration of Independence even more impressive in some ways because they had a lot to lose. The system was working for them. You know, the colonial system was working for them, relatively speaking, and it wasn't working for, you know, manufacturers and tradespeople and farmers, you know, basically England and Britain looked at uh, looked at the United States, or before it was the United States, the colonies as uh, a place to extract resources and then bring them back to England or elsewhere and then bring back manufactured goods. It's like a mercantile economy. That's a term that's used where you extract raw resources from a land and then you bring back uh, manufacturing and you, you force people to buy it. It's like this circle. And that happens in com- used to happen in companies, like if you worked in the coal mines, that you'd have to shop at the company stores. So there's this kind of an, an incestuous market relationship. But Ben Franklin came from the lower middle class. Middle class, his dad was a tradesperson. His brother was a printer. That's how he apprenticed uh, to become a printer. He ran away from the indentured nature that he had with his older brother because his older brother was abusive. He came to Philadelphia. I think his older brother just let bygones be bygones. Probably wasn't happy about it, but Ben Franklin wound up setting up a a printing uh, printing company down in Philadelphia. Became very very wealthy, super smart, super industrious. Uh, published the uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. Uh, it would be interesting to see what Ben Franklin would think would think about today. Uh, he made the connection between electricity and lightning. Of course, uh, same phenomenon. Uh, was heralded across the world for that discovery. He was called a modern Prometheus because he harnessed the skies. 
Uh, but he had a lot of inventions. He invented, uh, invented something called the harmonica, which was uh, a glass circular cylinder that was of different sizes and made different pitches when you wet your fingers. And he could play songs on it called the harmonica. He invented a stove uh, that he allowed not to be patented. He invented a lot of things. He uh, discovered the Gulf Stream or built upon the knowledge of the Gulf Stream because he traveled to Britain and, and France several times in his lifetime. Took all these measurements, discovered that that's why it was quicker to go from um, America to England or France versus the other way around. Because Gulf Stream went from that direction from west to east. Uh, so he was a future-oriented person. He did a lot to help the French, uh, did a lot to help America get the support of the French in the Revolutionary War, which ultimately undid the aristocracy in France by France helping the United States become the United States, ultimately. Uh, France was plunged into revolution. It was very, very destructive. Uh, Lafayette, went back to France to try to be part of that uh, revolution, try to moderate it to some extent, but got caught in the middle. He wasn't loved by anybody because he wasn't a Jacobin or Jacobin, but he also wasn't a uh, aristocracy purely, even though he was from arist aristocratic uh, stock, he, um, he believed in democracy. So he was caught in the middle. He didn't, he didn't please anybody. Sometimes if you're in the middle, you get it worse than anybody else. The other person you mentioned is I would mention in terms of had a future orientation is Abe Lincoln. Uh, he had a strong appreciation for where the country could be based on industry and technology. Uh, America was still developing a lot of these nascent industries because of its colonial past, but it began to break out of it in the 1840s and 1850s. The railroads, uh, the telegraph, which uh, Franklin was a precursor to by discovering electricity. The telegraph really was revolutionary because it allowed the uh, transmission of messages over miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It's a lot like our modern-day Internet in a very, in very conceptually similar way. Uh, a. Blanken also uh, really promoted um, science, uh, not just for the academic types, but applied science. So the railroads were huge. And that opened up the West. It opened up uh, the country. Most people never left their hometown before the invention of um, the trains and train tracks and all that. So I'm reading a book right now about Lincoln and science and technology through a device. They gave me a free book. A publisher did to do a review. So I'm reading through that. It's super interesting. But they both had a future orientation, uh, and that was one of the reasons why the North beat the South. The South was holding on to the past desperately. Uh, slavery was an outmoded model. It was going to expire anyway because machinery could be much more effective than people. It just took a while for things to catch up. But ironically, the cotton gin uh, increased slavery because it allowed the removal of seeds from cotton. You didn't have to do it manually anymore. You could process a lot of cotton through the cotton gin. So sometimes technology increases oppression, at least for the short term. It doesn't increase freedom. Uh, we always have to be sensitive to the implementation of technology and how uh, it may be very destructive for certain people. And I certainly feel that and have felt that recently with my phone not working properly. There's nothing I can do. It's not a problem on my end. Uh, the phone has either got a bad chip in it, which I don't believe to be the case because it still works, or the 5G is tangling with the uh, 
Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi access, which is my belief, because the 5G just appeared. And now that it's appeared, my phone is having problems. So I assume it's, a, it's an Apple issue. It just has to be resolved. But I may have to pay a visit to the dreaded Apple shop and have them break my phone apart to figure out what's going on. So Ben Franklin and Abe Lincoln were both futurists. It's it's an aspect of who they were. They were forward-thinking. Abe Lincoln saw the future, used the railroads, used the telegraph to do a lot to help the North gain advantage over the South, which was an agrarian economy and was invested in, in keeping the old order in place. And uh, really... You would hope the Southerners at the time would listen to reason, but they didn't. They were so committed to their their perspective and their ideology that they would be willing to die for a system that was destined to die anyway. And look at all the consequences they created. I would hope that guys like Jefferson and guys like Washington, even Franklin had slaves. I wish they had an opportunity to peek into the future and see what the consequences of slavery would have been. I would hope it would give them some pause about it. Franklin was going to say something at the Constitutional Convention about the evils of slavery. At that point, he had come to appreciate that black people were just as gifted as white people. Not universally. The case that a black guy is always going to be smarter than a white guy, or a white guy is always going to be smarter than a black guy, is very individualistic, but they have the same potentiality as any other group of people. And he was dissuaded from saying anything, but I felt uh, Franklin for not speaking up because just because he just because he um, was shot down and told not to mention it uh, doesn't mean he should have said something. Being a futurist, he should have said, "Listen, technology and industry is our way to go. It's not by baking, breaking the backs of the of the black man and the poor." You know, the Irish didn't have it particularly good. Uh, the Chinese didn't have it particularly good in America. The Italians, the Slavs, and the coal mines, you want to hear about something terrible, think about all those people that went down to coal mines and contracted um, you know, black lung disease and died at the age of 40, and then their sons went down there too because it's the only thing that you could do when you were poor and Slavic and lived in central, north-central Pennsylvania. A few other things before we get in directly into Soren here. Uh, unlocked uh, the money-making monetization of this. Hey, I need 1,000 listeners get, before I get paid 10 bucks, so I'm on easy street here. Uh, but it's from Anchor app. I just want to mention that Anchor app on the iPhone and probably elsewhere is super, super helpful. I was always fearful about creating a podcast because it seems so daunting and so crazy and so difficult. But the Anchor app is little. The Anchor app is literally just uh, download to your phone, press the button, and uh, there you go. You have to have a good microphone. I do this on my iPhone with the uh, the uh, earbuds on the wire with the microphone, so that does pretty good. So let's get into some Soren here. Soren talks about, and the authors about Soren talk about technology a bit. So I'm going to start off in this book, Philosopher of the Heart. I have to go to the right page here. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, let's see. He was perhaps, this is the uh, book here, uh, Philosopher of the Heart by Claire Carlyle. He was perhaps the first great philosopher to attend to the experience of living in a recognizably modern world of newspapers, trains, window shopping, amusement parks, and great stores of knowledge and information. Although life was becoming materially easier and more comfortable for affluent people like himself, it also provoked uh, new anxieties about who to be and how to appear. 
I did most of my sinus draining before this podcast, but it's still there's still some left. Exposed to public view, not only in his published works, but on the streets of Copenhagen through the windows of the fashionable cafes on Strogit. Uh, in the pages of his city's newspapers, Kierkegaard felt other people's eyes upon him, and he agonized about what they saw. And we talked about in a previous podcast that uh, Soren picked a fight with a satirical rag or newspaper or magazine. I think it's more appropriate to say the, the Corsair. And by doing so, he was humiliated. I mean, he got his pound of flesh, but they got their 10 pounds of flesh from him. <clears throat> so, anyway. I don't know. Not smart to, uh, to pick a fight with a media operation. Like I said, they have a lot of ink. So Soren talks about the future, and he talks in, in terms of this uh, two upbuilding discourses in 1843, the expectancy of faith on page 26. We're coming to an end of this essay. It is really beautiful, you said, that God does not want to appear to me in visible things. We are parted only to meet again. I could not wish to remain a child who demands demonstrations, signs, and wondrous acts every day. If I went on being a child, I, w I could not love with all my strength, with all my whole soul. Now that we are separated, we do not see each other every day, but we meet secretly in the victorious moments of faithful expectancy. So faithful expectancy is about the future. That's uh, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the uh, he's not talking about the past there. And then we go move over to page twenty-eight. Uh, he talks about being older versus being younger. This is a, this is a really neat paragraph. The older person among us who is almost within reach of the goal of, the, of moving on to eternity gazes back and thought over the road he has traveled. He recollects, he recollects the course of events and the faded figures become vivid again. He is overwhelmed by the abundant content of his experiences. He is weary and says, and then at last obtain uh, eternal salvation. The younger person who still stands at the beginning of the road gazes and thought over the long course experiences and thought what is to come, the painful, painful privations, the secret troubles, the sad longings, the fearful spiritual trials. He is weary of mind and says, and then at last obtain eternal, eternal salvation. Yes, it indeed it would indeed be a great gift if that person could rightly use the phrase, at last. At last, I have arrived at my reward with God who welcomes me. So, you know, life is short. One thing I would tell the young, if you're listening, and I don't know if you are, um, so if somebody had told me this when I was younger, I wish I, you know, I wish somebody had told me this. Is life goes so fast, you will be fifty-eight before you know it, because the days are hard. Uh, I just, you know, been reflecting a little bit on being a school counselor for thirty years, and you know, I spent my days just solving problems every day. I never looked at the clock really, because I didn't really have the energy to look at the clock. I always had something to do. There was few moments during the school year where things slowed down a bit, and I hated it. I couldn't stand when I didn't have work to do because time becomes really oppressive when I didn't feel purposeful and didn't feel meaningful. And there was only like one or two times that I can remember where the work just seemed to be done and I was in the middle of the school year. Normally it was just fighting fires, like not just one, not just two, but several, many, many fires at the same time. 
and feeling like I didn't have a lot of water, doing my best just to just to put things out and trying to avoid the fire next time. And one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I want to be purposeful. I don't want to just descend into uh, a hole uh, and disappear. I want to be useful and I want to be purposeful. And even the problems yesterday with my iPhone were good because it kept me from like drinking for about five hours. The big uh, temptation I face over the weekend in particular is drinking too soon, drinking alcohol, in particular beer for me wine occasionally but starting too soon and day drinking is just a just a terrible thing to do i do it on vacation if i'm technically on vacation where like i'm somewhere else and i'm visiting somewhere else then i allow myself to drink during the day but typically at home i'm very very careful about cracking a beer anytime before maybe four o'clock and ideally it's even later seven o'clock tends to work really well for me because i drink a couple beers two or three beers and then i hit the sack and i go to bed and that's the end of that. Plus, I eat a lot of food. I used to just drink and not eat a ton. So now I'd rather overeat than overdrink. So, yeah, last night I downed three quarters of a DiGiorno pizza. It's delicious. I've made my peace with getting DiGiorno pizza. I find it at the bargain grocer, and it's like six ninety nine for, yeah, 30 ounces of uh, pretty decent pizza. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than trying to make it myself or going out to a pizza shop. A little bit less expensive. So we're coming up in 21 minutes. I don't want to beat a dead horse here. Here's the goal in terms of the podcast. I'm starting to find my mojo a little bit. And the you know, listenership's going up. For these diatribes, uh, I want to make them about 21 minutes. And if I have an interview with a guest, then I will make those about 40 minutes. I think that's a better time frame for a guest. So 21 minutes for these diatribes, polemical diatribes, as it were, and 40-minute interviews with guests. I got back to the person that offered to pay me to have guests on this podcast and I said if the guests don't know anything about Soren Kierkegaard I really don't think it's a good fit he's willing to pay me $20 for guests to be on my podcast and I said this podcast is very very specific I'm not going to bring on amateurs that don't know anything about Soren Kierkegaard I'll do it occasionally if I think it's interesting like I did with Tom because Tom's a very thoughtful guy Tom Becker talked about you know faith sees best in the dark but as a rule I typically won't do that I want to get people on here that have learn something from Soren and can talk about it intelligently. Because Soren is deep, and he's not an easy an easy thinker. So when we look at the future, just to finish up here, I'm getting close to my time frame and then going over time a bit. Um, the future is intimidating. It's changing very, very quickly. Technology has to change together. So what happens a lot of times when we have technical problems with equipment and, and computers and things like that is one party has changed their technology or their software, their hardware, but other parties have not. So AT&T and Apple may have an issue right now in terms of how their system is working together because change is happening so quickly. There's an enormous amount of uh, communication and coordination that has to occur. And I have a feeling that Apple just hasn't closed the loop on that yet. I don't think the phone's got an organic problem with it, with the, um, with the chips or something. But who knows, COVID may have impaired something but the phone was working fine and i didn't drop it or take it in the shower or you know drop in the toilet or anything recently so it doesn't have any issue like that there was a writer in the late 60s and early 70s and throughout the 70s called alvin toffler and his wife actually they wrote together and he wrote a book called future shock and it was kind of the rise of mass media and mass communication even before the internet but he wrote this book, and like Future Shock's premise is you know, we're getting so much information and we're getting access to so much, um, so much 
uh, just to use the word information, and so much knowledge is coming at us from so many directions. It is hard to, to process it all, and that's why we need experts. We need people that have done the work in a specific area because we just can't do it all. We're not smart enough. We don't have enough time. Our bandwidth is not wide enough as individuals. Guys like Ben Franklin and Abe Lincoln were unusual, extremely wise and extremely smart. So it is possible to perhaps be a bit of a more of a renaissance man back then, woman as the case may be. But these days you have to trust other people to some extent. And if you're, if you're skilled and you know your field pretty well and you know logic, like just the thinking of logic and you know statistics, you can often spot people that don't know what the heck they're talking about, even if you're not that familiar about the specific field. I do that all the time. Because with my PhD, I got very advanced uh, statistical training. So I know when people are misusing stats. I know the problems with it. Also, I'm very logical. So I know when people make bad, bad arguments. And I also know how to suss out, you know, somebody that seems to be credible. You know, part of that is, uh, there's that you know word again. Part of that's just somebody going through formal training and formal education. Neither Ben Franklin nor Abe Lincoln, though, had much formal education. So it is possible these days, in particular, even if you have a, crappy educational background if you have the hunger to learn you can expose yourself to a world of information that's just fingertips away rather than watching stupid television programs that are just trite and stupid and silly and useless i will like rail on television until the day i die in terms of how useless it is useless it is in terms of a, a mode of improving yourself i like sports to some degree i like watching the philadelphia eagles I like watching the sixers uh, but my major television watching is C-SPAN 1 and C-SPAN 2, long-form long journalism and long-form thinking and speaking and things like PBS, like the Ben Franklin special, so watch that for sure. And I think that's it for today. Peace out. <laughs>